You're listening to Ship History Radio from the Steamship Historical Society of America. Through recording, preserving, and educating, our mission is to share the impact of engine-powered vessels, their crews, and their passengers with future generations. To learn more about our organization, visit us online at sshsa.org. My name is Brian Lucier, and I handle membership and public outreach for SSHSA. In this episode, we begin a series of occasional conversations with our collections team, including archivist Astrid Drew and assistant archivists Heather Kasilowitz and Tessa Mediano. Together, they're going to discuss some of the challenges they face in managing a collection that contains hundreds of thousands of individual photographs, paintings, brochures, artifacts, and more. We hope you enjoy. Hello, my name is Astrid Drew. I'm the archivist for the Steamship Historical Society, and I'm here with our assistant archivists, Heather Kasilowitz and Tessa Mediano. And today we're going to be talking about how we're dealing with our backlog and found and collection items in the Steamship Historical Society archives. So Heather and Tessa, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourselves? Well, my name is Heather. You guys know that, but our (laughs) listeners probably don't. And I also recently got my master's in library and information sciences and I have really focused in on archives because touching things that have been boxed away and hidden is like Christmas every single day and as most researchers know you can go down a rabbit hole and I think that is just amazing to surround myself in a new person to understand why the material was important to them and what they did with it. So I've been here for just over a year um, when the job was posted, and it is a two-year position to help with the backlog, and I couldn't be more thrilled. Thanks, Heather. I'm Tessa Mediano. Like Heather, I actually got my master's in library and information studies fairly recently in December of 2021. Uh, Most of my experience throughout library school and in the library field in general has been in academic libraries and public libraries, so it was a bit of a transition to start working here at the archives, but I've always been very much into history. I've done a lot of work as an antiques dealer and worked in auction houses in the past, so I definitely had that interest in older objects. Even to this day, my mother is an antiques dealer, so um, I help her out sometimes, so I definitely enjoy digging through historical artifacts and whatnot. Uh, Like Heather, I'm here for a two-year period. I started in July of 2022, so just last summer, and I'm really enjoying dealing with the collections here. Both Heather and Tessa have been brought on with the facilitation of the Posner Foundation, and we're very, very thankful for the Posner Foundation's help uh, in many aspects of what we do at the Steamship Historical Society, but I know I I speak for all the staff, but uh, especially for myself, I really appreciate having some backup in the collections. Listeners may be wondering, well, what does found in collection mean? What the heck is a backlog? Uh, FIC, or found in collection, means items that are undocumented or don't have any sort of information attached to them that tell the story of where they came from, who donated them, and sometimes even exactly what they are. So, for instance, we may have a piece of wood 
that is marked in pencil on some part of it that says this was chipped off of a given steamboat in the year 1940. And outside of what is written on the object, we have zero information on how to track it. And uh, that would be an example of something that would be marked FIC or found in collection. The backlog refers to collections or material that are unprocessed. This is a very common problem in archives. It's not necessarily something that's wrong or incorrect, but it is a normal and regular thing that archivists have to deal with. SSHSA collections have lived a very interesting series of lives. Uh, they have moved through many hands over the years. Some members may be familiar with or even remember when the Society had a library on Staten Island in New York. Then the collections were moved to the University of Baltimore, and still more members may remember visiting the collections there or going to exhibits there. And then the collections were moved up here to Rhode Island, where we are now based. So they have been spread out in multiple locations, in multiple sort of storage situations. And, uh, and because of that, and also having a small staff, sometimes donations were sent to the society and they weren't necessarily documented or fu fully organized and cataloged. So they were received and the donor was thanked but then those materials were put aside. And so that is part of what we're dealing with when we're taking all of our collections that were previously in storage, and now we're working through all this material and making sure that it is more fully documented and so that it is findable and searchable for people out in the world and also in our membership. And Astrid, you've been the archivist here for like over 12 years, haven't you? I started as a part-time research assistant, and I just answered basic questions, uh, reference questions, whether it was about steamships and steamship history, but also about uh, photos, people wanting reproductions, or uh, information from our collections. And I did my best to answer those questions, even though the majority of our collections were in storage at the time. Uh, in 2014, I earned my degree in information science and archives and, uh, and officially began work as the archivist. Before you, were there also professional archivists or were you inheriting different types of systems over the years that you had to figure out what they meant? I inherited a bunch of different systems. <laughs> um, the system that we use is called Past Perfect, but before there was software called Paradox, which I never worked with directly, but a lot of the data that we had was converted or, uh, you know, transferred over. I inherited a very, very interesting series of, of organization when it came to differences between the library versus how the photo archives were put together versus the ephemera, the paper ephemera collections, um, all had their various idiosyncrasies. Let's talk about the backlog as a project and our approach to it. Some listeners may be familiar with archival work, uh, but uh, others may not. And 
as you're listening, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us. You can reach us generally at the society at info at sshsa.org. Um, but also there's direct lines to us uh, at archives at sshsa.org and library at sshsa.org. Yeah, so we have a dual approach of sorts to how we take this on. Heather, why don't you comment a little bit on how you thought about this process? Well, if I if you don't know me, let me tell you I am a genie nerd, meaning I love genealogy. <laughs> and it's very similar because sometimes you'll come across a piece and not have enough information about it. So the objects in front of you, whether it's a photo or a book, and then other times you'll come across a piece of documentation, evidence, a record, and it refers to something and being new, I have no idea necessarily where it is physically in this. It, we have an excellent mapping system. You clearly can see where the boxes are, but you might not always know which box it's in because it hasn't been cataloged yet. So what ended up happening is we were having a discussion about it's just not a linear process. When something is dropped off, you're expecting it and it's properly accessioned and processed, it can go fairly quickly. But in the backlog project, we're literally trying to take clues from all over and put them together. So we have, I mentioned a dual approach. There's on the one hand, there's records first. On the other hand, there's objects first. So like what Heather was saying about having a photograph or a book in hand, and you may be able to glean some clues as to where it came from, and that can kick you off on how to find further documentation. For us, that means looking into institutional records and donor files uh, to track down names and hopefully further inventories and things like that, which helps us develop more description that can go into Past Perfect and then be put online for uh, the general public to find. One thing we use as a key tool is a document called the Unique Collections Overview that was compiled by a intern in the past, uh, generously sponsored by Brent Dibner. And that has been a extremely helpful document in helping us kind of narrow our thinking and our approach to focusing on key collections that are either very large groups of material or important material. So speaking of the unique collections overview, I actually just referred to that today to give you an example. So I'm researching right now the Federal Shipbuilding and Dry Dock Company collection, um, which includes mainly photographs and negatives of all these ships that were built from about 1917 to 1949. And I looked at the unique collections overview because it had a little biography that this intern had typed up. And then it also said it was given to the society in 1950, I believe. Now, just looking at that document isn't necessarily good enough to start saying, okay, we know for sure this was donated in 1950 because we don't have a deed of gift or any official documentation yet. But the fact that an intern put that in there makes me think that somewhere there is 
some sort of documentation showing the transfer of those files to the society. So yes, the unique collections overview, I think, is a, a very helpful document for dealing with the backlog. I think also when working with that, it helps look at the largest collections that are hopefully probably housed all together. So once you are able to connect how the intern described them and then physically find them, it's so much faster, opposed to focusing on a couple of things over here that we're not really sure where, I mean, the most significant collections obviously make the most sense to invest your time in. Definitely. Definitely. So that's a great example of actually kind of both, I guess, starting from records first, if we count the unique collections overview as mm-hmm. a record in and of itself versus use it starting from objects or the collection itself. Another fun example is, is the Fletcher collections, a small group of artwork that was given to us uh, that I encountered doing the first FIC uh, inventory, which uh, I did in 2016. That was a fun project, a lot of <laughs> opening, opening closets and doing some interesting work there. And uh, the starting point for tracking that down was literally just a sticker on the back of the, of the framed painting saying, yes. this was given by so-and-so Fletcher in such-and-such year and had all this information on a nice yeah. handy-dandy tag. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah something at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that, was, that was enough. I was off to the races. Um, that yeah. was one of the questions I was asking about the people that came before you. Because each had a different inventory system. I mean, I'm sitting next to a box right now that's marked AW-001. Mm-hmm. Perfectly identified on the side, on the top, just like an amazing archivist would do. But it means nothing to me because I don't know what AW-001 means. Mm-hmm. But it's the best feeling when I go home because I came across, when I wasn't looking for it, an explanation and the world just opens up. It's like the clouds part and the sun comes down. But you never know when you're going to find that piece. Yeah. I mean, sometimes sometimes that is that sort of thing when that, you know, the clouds part in that way. It's like, oh, yeah, the, the, the two letters are the initials, of course. Yep. But, yeah, there have been a bunch of numbering systems. And that's why um, with some of the old uh, FIC inventories, I had one field that was all about just listing every number and weird thing that was on some of these framed objects. Mm -hmm. Because in some cases, you're looking at a framed painting that has essentially two people's inventory numbers, sometimes three, if you count the stickers or Mm -hmm. numbers from uh, the like storage um, facility that they were in. So yeah, it can get it can get really complicated very quickly depending on what yeah. what you're looking at. So some of the pros and cons of this approach. Mm-hmm. The pro <laughs> obviously is an expanded understanding of our collections and also being able to put more of it online so that people can see it and more fully understand the the value I think of what is held here. Uh, I think a lot of our members um, and for those listening, it's okay. If you're one of these people, it's totally fine. Um, because uh, the society, I think, is has always been in this process of trying to educate the public of the breadth of what we have in our holdings. 
but there are some people who only really see Power Ships magazine. Mm-hmm. And so that's what they think we do, which is a totally understandable thing. But one big pro of this process, even though it can be time consuming, is is that, is educating more people and, and really getting to show off what we have here. The cons, and I was wondering if either of you have any... <laughs> I had a pro, another oh, pro, Oh, yeah, actually. yeah. What's, what's another pro? <laughs> well, I think the pro of this approach and just managing the backlog in general is making sure that we're respecting the people who have donated to us in the past and not just prioritizing the new stuff that comes in. Because it's very easy to say, oh, well, so-and-so just donated this a week ago and we have all the paperwork and I'm just going to focus on this now. But, you know, we have a lot of boxes from our founders from, you know, the 30s, 40s, 50s. And a lot of the stuff is undocumented or at least not publicized or published or cataloged. Um, And, you know, we want to make sure that we're honoring in a way the people who founded the society and the passion that they had for ships and for the society in general. That's one of the things that I admired about the Steamship Historical Society when I first came on is having a professional archivist who's already been doing this, you see that ethical responsibility and professionalism of knowing that you're taking something that was extremely important to them and making sure it's preserved from time on. Um, Because often when they donate something, they really feel like they're donating it to you personally. Mm. And um, yeah, I've I've seen that go well. And I've also been in organizations where I've seen that gone horribly because someone donated that material. And if you're not there anymore, they want their stuff back. (laughs) (laughs) And it does not work that way. (laughs) That's a good word, actually, honoring, because we have so many interesting, I I guess, legacy donations or collections. Mm -hmm. I think of the Lockhead collection in particular. I mean, he was so meticulous in documenting his scrapbooks. So John Lockhead made all these scrapbooks of cutting out clippings of any mention of steamships in the newspaper. (laughs) And when he was, I I think it was when he was in the war, he went to, uh, went to serve during world war two and his sister and his mother actually kept on clipping clipping articles for him. Yeah. And, uh, and then when, you know, I guess when he, you know, decided to, uh, to wrap it up. He actually went through the work of indexing it all. And I wish I could go back in time and shake his hand (laughs) because (laughs) we have so many scrapbooks that, you know, would be so much easier to work with if they had an index, but Mm -hmm. Mr. Lockhead was very forward thinking in that way. Well, Um, Alexander Shaw is a major collection that we have, and I got the chance to work with it a little bit as I catalog it. And he also, same thing, created an index of cards, which cross-referenced two different collections with the ship being alphabetical. And then one indication shows the collection by photos. And the index card then explains what the other collection is versus um, little cutouts of the boat that was in a magazine an advertisement, um, just a little blurb about it in the newspaper. So same thing. They really did create these scrapbooks, which were almost like encyclopedias in themselves. One con of all of this, 
is you mentioned a rabbit hole before, falling down rabbit holes. I love rabbit holes. Yes. Rabbit holes are great. <laughs> yes. Ordinarily, I would love to fall down rabbit holes and have, uh, you know, drink tea with, with some uh, kooky characters. And, <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes those characters in the archives are the donors themselves, um, the origins of these collections, you know, researching John Lockhead or one of the large digitized collections, Edward O. Clark. Like I'd love mm -hmm. to do more about, about uh, him and, and some of the more idiosyncratic mm -hmm. aspects of his photograph collections. Guy loved flowers. I would love to just really dig <laughs> so into he, what the deal so is there. So he took photos of boats and flowers, you're saying? Yes. Yes, indeed. And flowers, ships, and trains. I will say that um, I recently worked on the Claire Fall collection. This amazing woman who was a cartographer, her first job was she worked during World War II down at a naval base in Florida, designing ships. And then she's known for creating these amazing historical maps. She gets involved in preservation in New Jersey. Uh, she's known for being the person that was responsible for getting 200 stone homes on the National Register. And the material that she donated is interesting. You know, but it's a smaller collection. But what I found by cataloging that material is she truly is the thing, the the item in our collection that should be showcased. Um, Interesting person. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. So yeah, so in some some ways, falling down a rabbit hole can be <laughs> extremely yes. positive and a added benefit to uh, the the work overall. But also. Stuff very yeah. distracting at the same time. Exactly. Then yes. Tessa, tell me, you just came up with a new way of looking at the collection by I think you said taking a survey of it. So does that help you narrow in a little bit more and not get, you know, touching every single piece? Kind of. I mean, surveys have always or at least surveys have been done at the Steamship Society Historical Society. For a while, I know Astrid's created some using forms, um, and other archivists and interns have as well. But I just created an updated form that is a bit more specific about what we're looking at, so that when we're going through these backlog collections, um, we can just really quickly jot down key notes like: Are there any condition issues with the collection that need addressing right away? Um, are there any items that we think might be good for digitization down the road? Um, and then just, you know, general things like what's in the collection, what are the formats in the collection, um, do we have XYZ documentation for the collection. Um, so yeah, surveying is obviously a necessary step before we actually start cataloging um, a collection into Past Perfect. Um, and ideally, yeah, you don't go down rabbit holes because yeah. you're just filling out this form as quickly as you can and then mm -hmm. we pass it off to Astrid who approves it and then we just enter it in from there. It's, it's hard to get to that stopping point because I realized yeah. as I started to work on my first collection or two that I am providing enough information in the catalog so someone else will know we have it, whether they're searching online or they're looking at a finding aid and they kind of know enough about the collection to decide if that's where they want to go to next. Um, so if they schedule an appointment, we're able to pull that information for them and, and help them dig deeper. 
but there's so much more to do still to catalog the collection. That's just the first pass. So part of me feels like, in a way, you're never quite done, ever. Definitely. Um, am I the only one that's <laughs> pessimistic about that? Or <laughs> I don't think it's pessimism. I, I think, like I mentioned before, a backlog is a normal thing for and archives to have. It would actually be weirder to not have a backlog. <laughs> so I, I think in some ways, yeah, it, it can be demoralizing if you see it as, oh man, my work is never done. But I feel like it's, it's a positive and that mm-hmm. I always have something to do. There's always something that I can switch to if I feel my eyes glazing over. Yeah. Like there, there's, there's so many different kinds of things to do. So that's what I really like about this kind of work about archival work. Thanks for tuning in to Ship History Radio. We hope you join us for future conversations about the wonderful treasures that make up the SSHSA archive. This episode was produced by the Steamship Historical Society of America. Learn more about our organization and request a free issue of Powerships Magazine at sshsa.org.